0: so when was your last checkup oh no not you although that's important too but when was your last vehicle checkup when it comes to service nobody knows your chevy better than your local chevy dealer go to chevydrivechicago.com to schedule an appointment today
1: you know what's happening don't you i'm sitting out in the sanctuary me and zeus the wonder dog waiting for Charles Lipson to join Jeff Carlin and me to put things in perspective. But in the seconds before he comes on, let me tell you, I'm sitting out in the backyard in the sanctuary. The evening's coming, and I got a feeling that in this country, the left is about to lose its mind. They've built a mind palace an artificial reality and that reality was oh you know everything, the vote is all going to be about abortion and uh, extremists I don't know what's extremist what's extremist about trying to save the life of an innocent baby is it extremist to call killing it is that necessary health care I guess we lie to each other all the time on all sides of this. But the the artifice is falling apart. The reality is breaking through the wall. And the left becomes a bowl full of mush. They lose their mind. As reality comes to call. Thank you, Zeus. Thanks, Zeus. This God is protected here. He wants to jump the fence and go after a little bike man, little bike person. As the left collapses in its own rage, kind of like King Lear going mad, or Blanche Dubois in a streetcar named Desire, or Humphrey Bogart in the Cane Mutiny, because it was all about the strawberries, right? It was all the strawberries. But it's all being said and done in public now. Hillary Clinton publicly comes out and screams that the Republicans will steal the next election. We haven't even had this one yet, Hillary. I don't want you to be accused of being an election denier, but come on. Just imagine if a a Republican said that. Anyway. Charles Lipson is here, professor, emeritus, University of Chicago, the Peter B. Ritzma chair. I can think of no one better to put this all into perspective, how it's going to play out. What does it mean to us? The fact that crime is increasing, the fact that crime has become a national issue, not just a state and local issue, but a national issue and education collapses and taxes and inflation keeps eating our pocketbooks As how many of you are going to drive to grandma's house can you afford it Jeff Carlin is here as always too executive producer at WGN Radio my friend, master of pie master of pies Baker friend of cats husband to the lovely Christine and I'm John Cass husband to Betty and she's lovely too okay hon yes you are father of two boys who are now happily off the payroll editor-in-chief of your favorite website johncassnews.com Give yourself a gift of common sense and maybe you'll get a premium in the mail. As the mind palace breaks, as the Democrats freak, as Lori Lightfoot prepares her next campaign for mayor with chaos all around her and people wondering, what happened to you, Lori? You're on the Chicago Way. The No Chumble Zone on WGN Plus.
0: Look, at this the Chicago Way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago Way. The Chicago Way. That's the focus.
2: In a tower by the river there lived a man. A there was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand. Feeding foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river. Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the shit pack
1: as promised, our guest, Charles Lipson, Professor Emeritus, University of Chicago, the Peter B. Ritzema chair, writer extraordinaire, thinker extraordinaire, teacher, scholar. If there's anyone who could put all this in perspective from the, uh, from the left freaking the bleep out like Humphrey Bogart or, I don't know, maybe sort of like uh, King Lear having a mental breakdown like uh, like Blanche DuBois with the thought of what's coming, the red tsunami, red wave, it's Charles Lipson. Welcome, Charles. Welcome, Thank you.
2: Friend. When I hear the words Blanche DuBois, um, I want Just to tell to you, you, first of it. all, it brings back my youth in the Mississippi Delta, but my grandmother knew the family, Tennessee Williams family. It was in the next town. Uh, Tennessee and his brother Dakin were named after their uncle Dakin, who was the episcopal uh, priest in Clarksdale, uh, the town next to where I grew up, marks. Um, and so and a lot of the references in those plays are uh, to local uh, spots that I know, especially, Uh, In the Glass Menagerie, there's references to Moon Lake and and so forth, and it all just brings back. Well, of course, you know, I'm always dependent on the kindness of strangers. (laughs)
1: Well, you know, um, okay, just for those who don't know, and I'm sure most of our listeners do know, uh, the, the streetcar named Desire, Tennessee Williams, starring Marlon Brando, uh, was just a phenomenal play and a phenomenal film of the play. And this woman created a artificial, this character, Blanche DuBois, created an artificial life for herself in order to deal with the reality that she kept pushing, you know, not dealing with. And finally, when she was assaulted sexually by Stanley Kowalski,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, she broke. But then right. we have other people like, I, you know, I don't think King Lear was assaulted. I don't think uh, uh, the 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 protagonist or antagonist in the Kane Mutiny, Humphrey Bar- Bogart's character,
2: was oh assaulted. What a great that well, scene at the end in the Kane uh, Mutiny where he's where where he shoppers. sort of details his paranoia is is just amazing. Lieutenant Merrick was the perfect officer, but not Captain Queeg. Ah, but the strawberries. That's that's where I had them. They laughed at me and made jokes, but I proved beyond the shadow of a doubt and with, with geometric logic that, that a duplicate key to the wardrobe icebox did exist. And I'd have produced that key if they hadn't pulled the cane out of action. Uh, I know now they were only trying to protect some fellow officer. And, uh, naturally, I... I can only cover these things from memory. If I've left anything out, why just ask me specific questions, and I'll be glad to answer them one by one. I want uh, listeners to know uh, that there actually was a streetcar named Desire. There Mm. is in New Orleans a street uh, named Desire. And there was a streetcar on it. It doesn't run any longer. The one along uh, St. Charles Avenue still does. Uh, But, uh, of course, Tennessee Williams spent a lot of time there, as did Faulkner. But there was a streetcar named Desire. And uh,
1: who else lived on that street? Was it uh, Old Nick, who was uh, whatever you would call him in the south? Would offer you eggs as did as did uh, Marlon uh, what was the name Robert De Niro playing Satan in a movie about uh, New huh. Orleans and what was that movie? I, it, the I don't movies.
2: I don't know that movie, but I'll yeah, tell yeah. anybody who loves uh, New Orleans, which I think is the most distinctive uh, city in the whole United States, um, should uh, read A Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah. Uh, john kennedy tool it's just a brilliant book and it has an amazing kind of backstory which is that um, uh, of how it got published and so forth but it's just an amazing book isn't it more fun to talk about all this (laughs) dismal crime in our cities is john
1: yeah but the reason i wanted you to i hope you'd want to open this door and think about when you create a mind palace or an artificial reality and hope that you can keep the fantasy the fantasy alive as long as you can. And in fiction, what happens is that wall cracks and reality comes in. I, I just see it happening right now for uh, our friends, my friends on the left democratic left who've been living in bubble wrap for Years protected by, as you've pointed out many times, Charles, they've been protected by media that, uh, well, basically didn't force them to answer tough questions. And now all the questions are coming due.
2: Well, we saw that illustrated last week in the debate with John Fetterman. Uh huh. Because. uh, Federer, it was just sad. I mean, on a personal level, you hate to see somebody suffering like that. But um, remember, the media has basically covered for that his whole campaign and uh, not really reported on how serious it was. They tried to, you know, hide the ball. I mean, he was harder to find than Waldo. But (laughs) but, uh, the fact is, uh, the media never reported on it. When, when one brave woman simply mentioned it as... Dasha Burns. Yeah, Yes.
1: Dasha exactly. Burns from MSNBC did her job as a reporter and said, uh, after speaking to him, saying basically, you know, he wasn't all there.
2: She was trashed. She was trashed. Mm-hmm. Trashed by... Media people, right. by people, how whose dare you job the news? Is right. to be dispassionate reporters. Yeah. I mean, it would be one thing if it were an opinion columnist. You and I write right. opinion columns. Yeah. We try to be factual, but we are we're opinion columnists. But these were people who were just ordinary reporters, and they just went off on her and i don't know how she can possibly keep her job in msnbc
1: well i would much rather she come to johncastnews.com and write a few uh, to the chumbalone no Chambalone zone we have a no chumbalone zone we gave one to um recently to uh award to uh, charles thomas for his dollar work in pointing out about pritzker and the hypocrisy there Mm-hmm. But here, nationally, uh, it's coming like a, like a, basically the reality is coming and and the walls are crashing down all around them on on e- economic issues on the border, on crime. and you had a brilliant 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 piece recently in the, for our friend Tom Bevan. In real clear politics, in the title,
2: violent crime is driving a red wave. Indeed, it is. Uh, um, the The thing I think that will be hard to figure out um, after this uh, election in one week is um, how many of the issues that that were pointing in the Republicans' direction. Uh, and all reinforcing each other how uh which ones were really driving the bus um uh obviously inflation in the economy which yes. i consider a single issue not two um uh, the the border crime um schooling uh in a variety of ways um i mean not just one way um People are upset about um, what's happened to their kids' uh, learning profiles, and um, and they felt like they were kept out of school far too long, which is true. Um, and um, all of those point in the same direction, and so it's, it's going to be hard to know which one played the biggest role. To some extent, I'm a little puzzled. I don't know if you are. But I'm a little puzzled that given how all of these issues are pointing so strongly in the Republicans direction, that they're not just a cinch to win the Senate, but they're not.
0: Yeah, I think I mean, some of the things that I've had this conversation with him and daddy the other day, but one of the things that kind of attribute to that, I, th- I feel is is the for lack of a better terminology, but the Trump poll, you know, this idea that there's this. Spinning ball of noise that has to be dealt with one way or another, whether you're you know you think the last election was completely legitimate or not that is, is out there, and I think it's detracted from some of the people saying well well they're they're hung up on that, and then you have people like well, then i can 't vote for that guy because they're they're just sort the of women or they're just going crazy with this one thing where if that wasn 't there I, john you call it a red wave I mean red tsunami red i don 't know you know <laughs> Well, it's going to be a way, it's going to be a red
1: wave. The question is, and, and a lot of that is historical because we know, oh, well, yeah, right, yeah, The yeah. party out of power often comes back in. But uh, I'm thinking more of a tsunami, right. and uh, I but I do, I am fascinated by the question posed by our guest, uh, Professor Charles <laughs> Lipson why isn't it a stronger wave? Why aren't we saying, uh, the Senate. As well as the house is a,
0: a you know, a fait accompli. It's well, done. That's that's oh, my I point. Is, is they're getting people. You're get, there's a lot of extraneous noise on the right that is taking away from the idea where, like you said, it's a layup. But they're t- but coming down the court. They're you know they're passing it a hundred times. Can and sound,
1: where's the extraneous sound coming from?
0: The extraneous sound coming from the idea that. People are, are only hung up on the um, – some candidates are only hung up on the idea that the last election was stolen and that we need to fix that. I don't even and think they're thinking about that. Who Who isn't thinking about that? I don't think the country is really focused on that. No, but the, the, that's my point, is that there's so many other big picture things that that are, are easy to say, look, Democrats have let us down this path. But there are candidates who are out there who aren't doing that, who are, who are solely trying to make inroads with – the possible next president in Trump. And they are then diluting the message as a whole and le- making it easier for people to say, well, they're Republican and look all the noise coming from Republicans. And I can't, you know, that I can't I just, take anything else serious. I just think that
1: this is a lot of hysteria that you're pointing to. And it's uh, confusing, you know, p- that, as well, that's hysterics, a, yeah. hysterics often are confused. Um, the Fetterman thing, as you both point out, was a, a disaster. For the, to see this man propped up there just tells you, I guess, more about the news media than about the politics of Pennsylvania.
2: It tells us a lot about the media, and, and that's sad. And, and in fact, after the Fetterman debate, I've spent most of my time uh, watching MSNBC and CNN to see how they would cover for him. Right. Good move. It, exactly. But I thought that the strongest uh, cover was the main paper in Philadelphia, the Inquirer, which said (laughs) that he, Fetterman, won the debate. I I mean, a good Lord, Helen Keller would have figured out that he didn't win that
0: debate and yeah it was the inverse poll you know the idea that they unanimously said that he won but then you picked the brains of people writ large who watched it who were going to actually vote and they running away went the other way and saying it was az how could that be no how, i mean how could you i mean i understand that
1: newspapers betray logic every day and uh for example, uh, the, the Chicago Tribune has endorsed Tony Perkwinkle and Pritzker, which I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And then they dare talk about, uh, uh, we have, you know, the crime, crime is too much and we have to stop it. Okay, well, you, you begin by, quite, by making pro, uh, proper and uh, responsible endorsements. But in this case, I don't know how anyone could say that Fetterman won the debate, Charles.
2: I I I don't either. And, uh, actually the important point, I mean, the only issue on which, Oz really looked, uh, I would say confused or chaotic in his answer was he was trying to dance around, uh, his position on abortion. Mm -hmm. But, um, the the one that really embodied Fetterman's problem was um,
0: <laughs>
2: was fracking. St- well, I mean, he began Good in night. his opening yeah. statement. Yeah. His first words were "Good night." Yeah, and, and but sad. I mean, and that was just and that was sad. But then on fracking, the reporter and I and it's been an interesting point. Local reporters across the country have done a good job better than national reporters often, uh, in interviewing these candidates. Mm -hmm. And this one pointed out, he had a position in the past. Uh, he was on record public statements, opposing fracking, and now he was in favor of it. And they asked him to reconcile those positions. And, you know, there are honest answers to that. I changed my mind when the price of oil and gas went up, or I've, I've seen the actual impact in these communities and I've, I've learned from the people. You could, there are a number of answers. He right. didn't give any of them. He just said, I support fracking and then fumbled a bit and then said it again. And, uh, it, it's just clear to me. And, and the party knew this. They could have uh, nominated Connor Lim. Um, It was within their ability to do that early on, uh, and they didn't. So um, they're stuck with him. Republicans are – his best chance is actually related to another issue that's come up throughout the uh, election season, which is that Democrats have argued that Republicans are trying to destroy democracy, especially the mega-maga. You
1: sound like Hillary. Whatever.
2: And and then they poured millions of dollars into those very campaigns to nominate those people. Now, in the case of the gu- gubernatorial candidate on the Republican side in Pennsylvania, he will lose, it looks like by double digits.
1: In Pennsylvania. In yeah.
2: Pennsylvania yeah. to Shapiro, the Democratic candidate, who's well liked. And Seems competent. I don't know much about him, but he seems competent. But if you lose by that large a margin, you can often carry the other people on the ticket across with you. And that's uh-huh. Fetterman's best best chance now. The uh,
1: one issue is that uh, we, <coughs> we we still have Joe Biden. And uh, just recently, I saw him interviewed by an MSNBC uh, fellow. Mm -hmm. Journalist who uh, asked him about whether or not (coughs) are you going to seek re-election? And it looked to me as if the president fell fell asleep asleep during the question. I'm not making a judgment about formally running or not running. Once I make that judgment, a whole series of regulations kick in. Mm -hmm. And I have to be, I treat myself as a candidate from that moment on. I have not made that formal decision, but it's my intention. My intention to run again. And we have time to make that decision.
0: Uh, Dr. Biden is for it, Mr. President. Oh,
1: Dr. Biden thinks that uh, my wife thinks that uh, that I uh, that that we're that we're doing something very important, and that I shouldn't walk away from it.
2: Well, I think the whole country is falling asleep on that prospect, but. <laughs> I mean, he's saved by the fact that if you remove him, look at what you got. Right. Kamala. Yeah. I mean, she is just, if she didn't wear heavy shoes, she'd just float away. I've never seen anybody who's so manifestly incompetent. I mean, she doesn't seem all that smart. And she obviously doesn't do her homework uh, in the sense of reading the briefing books. And then nobody is is willing to work for her for more than two weeks.
0: But yeah. she's I'm certainly becoming veep I mean it's, it's, you, can't, you can't point oh, that like out enough show? but, but yeah, there's
2: big problems coming up for Biden not only on age he can't declare that he won't run until after this yeah. election there are big problems coming up on that but then the Hunter Biden stuff just yeah. gets worse and worse and uh, on the Republican side you know the there's the 800 pound orange
0: gorilla <laughs> Which is interesting, Charles, because I'd love to get your take on that, because uh, the, the president's been subpoenaed. He's got the, the, you know, whatever, November 14th date to show up, which we know that's not going to happen. But th- what? Wh- how does this play out after that? Because the, the, the Congress, this is going to be controlled by Republicans come January. The, the Democrats now are going to force this through. They're going to put it in front of Merrick Garland to draw up, a, you know, a, a, a jury a uh, grand jury to to charge, and wh- what happens then? I mean, I, I, this it seems like we're heading towards a really chaotic time, and it's you know in- inflicted by, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your view, the you know the Congress. I mean, this Democratic held Congress right now.
2: That's exactly right. So um, it's just really hard to know how it'll all shake out. Um, I will my own sense is that in a way uh that that uh, there are three cases that are moving against uh the president right one um uh one is uh in new york uh that's really moving against his company mm-hmm. and i think the problem there for me is not uh, first of all problem is that all real estate people fudge yeah. on, uh, on uh, their assets in order to get loans. And in, in Trump's case, he paid back all the loans. But the problem is Letitia James, who's doing the prosecution, right. ran on the idea that she would find something to prosecute him right. on. And that's against the American notion sure. that you don't prosecute the person, you prosecute the crime. and uh so i find that very problematic the georgia voting stuff uh is a real problem if uh trump was uh directly involved in that
0: it Uh, it sounds like that's going to be the biggest problem mostly for rudy giuliani if anybody
2: right but and you know then you don't know who will flip Yeah. uh but um and uh of course and then uh, there, the January 6th stuff, I actually think uh, the president's behavior uh, on January 6th was just dreadful. Uh, yeah. When people are invading, that doesn't mean that he is directly responsible for what happened in the Capitol. But once it was happening, I mean, I think you can make indirect connections and call the people there. He made inflammatory statements, and then he walked away. Um, right. But once they were in the Capitol, his failure to do anything was uh, an abdication of his basic responsibilities yeah, as president. Absolutely. Whether that's illegal, yeah, I, don't I don't know, so. yeah. but uh, and I suspect not because it's inaction. Right, but uh, but, I but like it was abysmal, and people and 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 when you say it. Uh, as I have many times, then you're just attacked mm. by by uh, people who are just totally committed to Trump. Uh, I think that uh, it is possible uh, that Trump could win, but he is about the only major Republican who could lose in 2024, at least on the current basis. Uh, Desantis could cruise in, I think. So could so could probably Pence, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a number of others, uh, Tim uh, Scott, several others. But um, but that's a long way away. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem for Republicans is this: they need uh, Trump changed the trajectory of American politics. Yeah. And he changed the trajectory of the Republican Party most of all. Well, and he, it is impossible f- to win uh, a general election without carrying along his voters, and he won't let you carry them along if you're running against him.
1: Um, you're setting up a scenario in which uh, the Trump, Mr. Trump, uh, will be attacked and taken down by um, Republicans, which, uh, which will fulfill the fantasy of, the, of most of the editorial uh, staff of USA Today. <laughs> but I don't know if it's going to happen. I do think, however, uh, Charles and Jeff, that, um, that I, I think that the American people really don't care. I think they're done with January 6th.
2: That may be true, but I they, think seen... Trump is not done with it. No, no. He, he's he is backward looking. And right. I think there's a sense, you know how you look on the expiration date whenever you buy milk?
1: Especially <laughs> queso dip. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think that a lot of people are noticing that uh, the issues that, that matter to him that matter to them, Uh, crime that we started off by talking about, uh, inflation, um, and so forth, that Trump really essentially has nothing new to say about those other than attacking the other party. And I think if DeSantis wins... Convincingly in what ye, in what in a state that he won by less than a hundred thousand votes in the last mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, election against uh, against uh, uh, well he's running against Chris now. Yes. Uh, the last time he ran against the mayor of uh, was it Tallahassee?
0: Oh right, he yes. was yes.
2: subsequently uh, mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of legal trouble, but right. uh, uh, yeah, he uh, if. If DeSantis wins like that, he's uh, really grabbed the mantle. And he has one particular advantage. He has two advantages. One, he doesn't come with all of Trump's baggage. And the other is he's actually administered a big state. And he's done so very effectively. So Mm. if people are concerned about the the permanent government in Washington, you're going to have to get competent people in to run all the administrative agencies in order to rein them in right
0: yeah Uh, i mean that that i don't want to dive too deep on on what a trump run might look like but you're i mean i think you kind of know that 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 this is trying to move us off that's yeah that his biggest problem is that he can't (laughs) he, he he's his own worst enemy in that regard but i think you, John, to your point about the idea that like nobody cares about it, I think you're right. I mean, I, I don't think you. I mean, I, I I know that there are certain people you know peak their interest in it in generalities, but it's not like it. It's moving the needle because of everything else. Like we've talked about, the violence is is much more in front and center. The well, cost of everything. I'd like to get back to, them?
1: if we can, the Charles's piece, brilliant piece on violence becoming like sort of uh, the theme, violent crime is, is driving a red wave. And we see it going on in Chicago, although Chicago seems to be, Illinois seems to be protected because Pritzker's billions and the public union unions have protected them, and along with the media. But nationally, I, I never thought that crime, which is a local issue, state and local issue, has become nationalized how does this play out charles long term with the uh, so-called uh, soros prosecutors uh in all these different jurisdictions new york and um philadelphia etc philadelphia has become a hellhole
2: it is and i have friends who live there and i have one friend from Chicago, who goes back and forth, so I'm I'm keeping up with what's going on in, in Philadelphia. I think you made a very shrewd point when you said crime is a national issue, and it's important to remember that crime is essentially a local issue, um, and it takes a lot to make it a national issue. So, what has made it a national issue? Well, for one thing, it's so present in almost every city and as I wrote in the column um, it's not just in the uh, big cities like Chicago it's in um, it's in a lot of mid-sized cities mm-hmm. um, which and all of them uh, except one who has a, a nonpartisan mayor all of them uh, are governed by Democrats, and uh, to s- to speak the unspeakable, all have large uh, African American poor African American communities. Little Rock, Memphis. I don't know about Tacoma's population. Detroit, Pueblo, which is uh, has a different population. Cleveland, Springfield, Illinois, Lansing, Michigan, Kansas City, and Chattanooga. So. These are in uh, this year's FBI Uniform Crime Reporting Program, the 10 most dangerous cities. Um, And then we have on the streets of Seattle and Portland and San Francisco, we have these vast homeless camps. You don't have quite as bad a situation in Chicago because of the weather. Uh, People just don't. You have to be a really committed homeless person to stay in Chicago. Uh, But we do have a homeless problem here, and I see it up close and personal all the time, as does anybody who lives in the city. So why does this become a national problem instead of a sequential problem in all these different cities? And the answer is because there has been a uniform ideological position Mm -hmm. uh, by the Democratic Party um that uh, the basic problem has been excessive policing, not mm-hmm. excessive crime and they're trying to either change the topic or incredibly say that that problem was uh, the Republicans fault for not voting on a omnibus bill or something but I mean uh, voters get it I mean this is a this is a problem that, that has to be turned around. My own feeling is that the Democrats can't change their position on crime until something happens like happened during the crack epidemic in the uh, 1990s, when it began to affect ordinary law-abiding people in poor minority communities and their political leaders spoke out and said, something has to be done. Uh, But
1: that brings me to the other issue, which is related to this. Yeah. Uh, In 2020, When George Floyd was murdered by by a Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin, who put his knee on Floyd's neck. And Floyd was created as a heroic Mm -hmm. figure rather than as a reportedly as a (laughs) criminal himself. Um, The Democrats made common cause with Black Lives Matter because they wanted to get rid of Donald Trump. And they weaponized the um, protests. The protests then became violent, destructive, billions of dollars of damage. Lives were lost. Police officers were hurt. Um, And I don't think that it has stopped since then, since they let the genie out of the bottle and began to rip on police and it became a political Thing where the the Democratic Party attacking police, police cringing and going into the fetal position. Uh, I don't think any of this has changed and, and stopped. And i I see Americans looking at it. To, to Jeff's question earlier, they they look at you know a few hundred what, what a thousand or so on the mall protesting January sixth, and they see the thousands. That weren't were not jailed for what happened in terms of the destruction in Chicago, and they say, "To hell with you," and they vote Republican now.
2: Well, I I think that um, in a way they're sort of different orders of magnitude, uh-huh. as well, you're sure. saying. One had it succeeded the uh, the January sixth would have been a threat to the orderly transition of power, which is a hallmark of our democracy. We wouldn't
1: be talking now, Charles. We'd be be in
2: war. Uh, And um, uh, and the other is a threat to the everyday lives of law-abiding citizens, which is the vast majority of all Americans, regardless of race, creed, color, and religion. Uh, So that's a big, big problem, and I think the Democrats, during that awful summer of 2020, divided into two groups. One would be the group um, uh, like uh, Kamala Harris, who, although she didn't say she favored defunding, was strongly supportive of the group that wanted to get everybody who was put in jail out of jail. And, and favored uh, bail for all of them and, and so forth, and actually uh, 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 collected monies for it. Yeah, the de-incarceration movement. And that was, uh, and then there was Black Lives Matter, as you know, which turned out to be a grift. Yeah. Uh, and But then there was what happened at the Democratic National Convention in Milwaukee that year, where there were four days, I believe, Uh, and they didn't mention the rioting once they just didn't mention it as if they, uh, so it was a head in the sand position about it. And, um, and then they finally, and, and they had a kind of poster child for what they hated, which was a guy who, who came from Chicago up to, uh, the rioting in was it Kenosha, yeah. and then and then uh, uh, shot somebody after uh, the jury found that he had been uh, that his own life had been in danger. But uh, they just have they just fundamentally think that the problem is either policing or something that we can't talk about. And think- Americans just disagree with them.
0: Yeah, uh, and I think, John, you're, I mean, you're, to your point about the idea that they're, they've are you they now turned away from Democrats, I, I don't necessarily even think that it's to the point where they're like, well, the Democrats are going crazy about X, Y, and Z, or they're trying to push this agenda or the Black Lives Matter. Stuff. I don't think that even plays much like, you know, January 6th doesn't play that that trauma, you know, is its own thing. And people have kind of passed that. I think it's really more the idea that what we see here in Chicago is that, you know, the Democrats haven't done anything to fix it, and then now they're and then in some terms, looking at you know we said the the uh, Preckwinkles and the Kim Foxes of the world have gone to make it worse. That that is where they're seeing it. That they're, well, they're not doing anything to fix it, and compounding that with the economy, which is going to be front and center beyond. I think the idea of like Democrats flipping to a Republican, I don't think violence is going to be pushing them there as much as the fact that everything has gone through the roof. Costs are insane, and Democrats have been saying, "Well, do you you should need to deal with this for a little bit because we're promised we'll fix it in the future." Well, I mean, that's the most empty promise of all. And I think, as a as a person who's you know deals with it and, and, and talks to people and sees, I think the financial, the economic piece of it winds up being the bigger reason for them to turn away from Democrats than as much as them defunding the police. Just-
2: oh, I agree that uh, the economy is a big issue, and it's. I mean, it's just impossible for people to think that Donald Trump. Uh, excuse me that that the economy hadn't gotten worse under mm-hmm. Biden. That are, you know the the classic line uh, that Ronald Reagan uh, used against uh, Jimmy Carter. Are you better off now than you were mm-hmm. four years mm-hmm. ago? Um, and uh, and Biden himself. Uh, or the people who write for his teleprompter <laughs> right. seem to um, <laughs> to be unwilling to acknowledge just how serious these problems are. Uh, he said the uh, last week, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that the economy is stronger than hell. <laughs> and for a lot of people, that's just not true. Right. And, is and it I mean, time maybe, to invoke
1: yeah. the 25th Amendment? And let's just have the kamala harris experiment
0: and get it done with yeah i mean that's almost a better better play for a democrat or republicans rather because it gives them a a soft target to attack for two year three years or two years and and pick it apart and leaving well, nothing it, in its wake it well, puts
2: I, democrats in an incredibly awkward position yeah. because you would then have the second african-american president but you would who is obviously going to be very weak and I assume she would be breathtakingly incompetent, and um, and uh, then, but you can't. It it will be hard to run against her and keep uh, the African American coalition that's absolutely critical to Democrats winning. Right. To keep them from saying you've thrown out our our person. But there is a question as to whether they actually. Uh, think that Kamala Harris is their person Uh, you know I mean she didn't have much support in that community uh, the first time around she had to drop out before the first votes were counted. She
1: had Willie Brown
2: well yeah that's
1: another story I don't want to go (laughs) get into the kiss and telling thing
2: (laughs) (laughs) well whenever I hear Willie Brown I think of um, smart
1: politician
2: No, I think of the uh, Robert Johnson song, Crossroads, uh, who mentions Robert Johnson went down to the crossroads, fell down on his knees, uh, the crossroads being uh, somewhere in the Mississippi Delta. Clarksdale claims it was there, but uh, he mentions his friend Willie Brown in there, but it is a different Willie Brown.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and that's a morality play. And I don't want to get involved in morality. Now we're talking politics. And at the end of this, I'd just like to get back to, well, you know what? What happens after the election, Charles, in Chicago? Can you give us a Chicago perspective? What happens with Lori Lightfoot trying to give herself a raise now and people scratching their eyes out and she's going to scratch their eyes out?
2: Well, I think that the story in Chicago is – um is that it's wide open for somebody else uh, to uh, run against Lightfoot for mayor because she's so unpopular. The only question is whether there will be somebody who's uh, who is um, a, a really formidable candidate and who can do it on the one hand. And then the question is, is there anything you can really, Do is the city governable at all? Because what you're seeing, it hasn't happened in Chicago. There hasn't been a net loss of population in Chicago. There has been, however, a big loss in the state of Illinois, as there has been out of California, New York, Connecticut. All of these places are losing population to states. Florida. Florida. They're that are uh that are better run and willing to let people um sort of um build a house start a business live in peace and all the rest and uh and and they have low taxes to boot so if you looked at the street in front of my house
1: Indiana um, wants me but I can't go back there <laughs> Uh,
2: if you look at the streets, just the streets in Chicago, yeah, they they have the same four problems that used to plague Russian agriculture, right? Uh, <laughs> summer, fall, winter, and spring. Uh, my my street is just one large pothole.
0: Oh, I know. There
2: are been... there are homeless people living under the subways nearby. This yeah. is in a nice neighborhood. If oh, you so have cool problems you don't call the city police you call the university of chicago police uh so you you've got people voting with their feet to say this is really unacceptable and um and uh i don't really understand uh how uh, here's gonna be i don't understand how you turn it around and here's here's the problem that the democrats are going to face very soon and that is all of their candidates that are going to be elected are going to be coming from deep blue cities and states right those are the ones who are left the ones who are likely to lose i can't say for sure whether um whether um um vance will win in ohio but mm-hmm. candidates like Vance are the only hope uh, for the party to become, to resume its um, its place as a national party, right? But they're they're going to ha- they can't run and win in a state like California because mm-hmm. they would be defeated by the progressives, and they can't run. It it's going to be very hard for them. To win in a state like Ohio, which is trended red. So you wonder uh, you're going to have a selection effect in the party. Yep. And uh, it was Bill Clinton who brought the party back to the center. To the center yeah. left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, remember, he, he uh, some of the issues he ran on was that he had supported the death penalty in Arkansas. Um. Mm. You could write a novel on the uh,
1: last meal of the last man that was executed hmm. who was um, I didn't know that. had lost his had lost his half his brain <laughs> and thought that uh, Bill Clinton was going to save him Yeah, well, he was shot away in a police shooting where he killed a police officer.
2: You know that guy could actually still pass the uh, NFL concussion protocol. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh the, the back- uh, you know
1: okay the local yeah. issue that I want both of you to comment on
2: yeah. is the
1: thing that Charles brought up can the Sh- can Chicago survive? I would argue and I have been arguing for a long time now but formally I'll put it um that preckwinkle is pushing what Charles wrote about nationally. Tony Parkwinkle, uh, board of uh, county, county commissioners, is pushing it locally. Defund the, defund the, the jail. Shrink the jail. Uh, have Kim Fox as the prosecutor. Support the no-cash bail, and so on. And I don't see a city of Chicago surviving Without uh, whoever the next mayor is, and it's not, Lori Lightfoot has already de- uh, endorsed Kim Fox. Yeah. The next mayor has to dr- drive, oh, build a wall around Tony Preckwinkle and Kim Fox and push for um, real school choice to even have a chance. And I don't see that happening.
2: I agree. School choice is another of those issues where we benefit from federalism, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. School choice is an issue that has been around for a long time, but it's gaining traction now for several reasons. One is that during the pandemic, parents actually saw what their children were being taught. Second, we're now getting reports. Of tremendous loss of educational um, attainment yeah. in national um, in national reports, and the third thing is that we're getting some states that are allowing parents to to choose by letting the money follow the kids, but that can never happen in a blue state because um, teachers unions are an integral, an essential part of the Democratic coalition. They can't win without trial lawyers, uh, teachers' unions, (laughs) and uh, uh, a strong turnout in the African-American community led by African-American women. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they find it very hard to change trajectories. But I think school choice is doing well. In fact, I just saw a very interesting statistic, which is that if Catholic schools nationwide were listed as a state of their own, they would be the highest scoring state (laughs) on the national testing averages. Uh, And, of course, Catholic schools did not close during the pandemic. They may have closed for a few weeks, but they did not close for any long length of time. To when I mentioned a few weeks, let me that takes us back to where we started. In the New York um, gubernatorial debate last week, um, the incumbent governor who had been the lieutenant governor and moved up when uh, Cuomo was booted out of office, Hochckschel, uh, she said, not only that schools had only been closed for a few months, or maybe that was the the uh, governor of Michigan, Whitmer, said that. But uh, Hochschul said she didn't understand why the Republican candidate, Lee Zeldin, was so focused on crime. She didn't get it. Yeah. Good Lord.
1: Yeah. Well, they don't want to get it because they don't want to deal with what's right in front of their face. That the majority of people who are broken and shot to pieces and destroyed by crime are mostly African American and Latino. And the fact that they don't want to deal with it is because most of the perpetrators of violent crime, according to the FBI statistics, are black and Latino. So it's happening in the neighborhoods, is what I'm saying. It's not happening in Western Springs, right. or uh, it's not happening in Dyer, Indiana, okay?
2: <laughs>
1: it's happening uh, It's happening in the neighborhoods where people need help. And,
2: and when you say it. it, as you did so clearly, John, you're attacked um, as uh, because you mentioned Soros in passing, without any mention of his religion and so forth. He was the major funder. And kind of the voice of a lot of this uh justice so called Justice Democrat prosecutors. You were accused wrongly of anti Semitism. And oh, yeah, they, uh, it to. just it's just this kind of descent into calling everybody a Nazi. Yeah
1: uh,
2: is 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 um just a terrible part yeah. of our politics. We need to get past it and we uh at the same time. We can't use uh, the idea of civility as a way of shutting down speech, um, as it is often done on campus. Yeah. So you didn't say it in a nice way, or somebody felt uncomfortable. You, we have a right under the First Amendment to both speak and assemble, and that's limited. We can't th- threaten people in a direct way, and so forth, but. We need to return to a number of very basic American values, and that includes the fact that it is a fundamental responsibility of uh, cities, states, and the federal government to provide a safe environment for people. And I think when people go to the polls uh, on November the 8th, they're going to send that message across the country, and it'll be a message that Democrats will have to deal with for the next two years.
0: <laughs> Probably them some, um, John. Your point about the idea of like, how, how do we fix the city, uh, and or, you know, can we save the city, or if it's that question rather, uh, Charles, you mentioned that the population, you know, we're not, we haven't seen a negative population in Chicago, which, which actually isn't really true because. Our, our net gains over the last 10 years are about 50,000 people a year in, in theory, but that doesn't, that uh, is lower than our number of births should be as a state or as a city rather. And so we're, we're actually coming out negative. Just we're producing just a little more to make it seem like we're not absolutely negative. So the city's already on it, a major decline and the middle class in the city is, is completely gone. I mean, it, not completely gone, but very much gone. And the thing that's holding it up right now are these balloons of tech, you know, he's, Funny money math done in these uh, mutual funds and investment groups and think tanks and incubators and all, and and tech companies, but they're, they're that's that stuff super transitory because they're going to go wherever the next good deal is whenever the next deal good deal shows up and the violence is going to make that decision much easier. And once that starts to happen, and we've already seen it in this in the city that you know major corporations are fleeing the city, it's going to accelerate like wildfire. And it's going to be an uh, it's going to th- feel like overnight the city just collapsed on itself, and we don't and, want to see that happen. No, but I I, I don't think I, I don't I don't see barring the the discovery of gold or oil beneath Lakeshore Drive, I don't foresee uh, the ability for this, this, the state state not to fix the issues and to bring that back around to make the place.
2: Boy, I hope you're right. The middle class. I, I hope you're right. Uh, this city. Uh, the strength of this city, the backbone of the city for a long time, was the bungalow belt. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a kind of middle middle class, maybe even lower middle class. And it's, the problem there is that we're in the middle of a kind of industrial revolution in which the people who had a union job working in a steel mill and could pay a mortgage and support a family, that world is gone. Those jobs don't exist. And uh so it um uh, the biggest employer on the south side of the city is uh the medical centers right, right? so uh, the the composition of cities is changing, and uh so is this idea that you can work from home. um mm-hmm. we're doing this podcast. we're not all in the same studio right. um and uh, my two adult children. Uh, work uh, thousands of miles away from where their company is located. Um, so, and in fact, uh, my uh, my son, who's the head of technology for an online company, uh, all of the people who work for him, who do coding and all of that sort of thing, none of them work in the city where the company is headquartered. None of them have an office. Uh, so we're living in a new kind of world. And if you don't provide safety plus all the amenities, uh, uh-huh. for these people, they'll just move to a different city. If, uh, if one of my kids likes mountain biking, so maybe he'll, he'll, mm-hmm. he can move to Colorado, uh, and or throw to ski- rolls, maybe, you know, and he can, <laughs> and he can do that without thinking it'll affect his job right. in any way and that will affect cities like Chicago. I think one of the good one of the good things about federalism is that it forces cities to compete. Chicago mm-hmm. is competing with Nashville and Austin and Denver and so Seattle is right. competing with them and Portland is competing with them, and how anybody would want to remain in Seattle or Portland or San Francisco's losing population. Right. Uh, you know, how they would want to remain in those cities without the leaders of those cities turning around the politics, beginning with two things, schools and safety. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it.
1: Well, it gets in the way of their ambitions. I would uh, very much like to see what's going to happen. I, I suggest everyone watch uh, the Kane Mutiny. yeah think think of, <laughs> think of uh, Nancy Pelosi telling us, you know, telling us and the, and the op-ed writers of the New York Times that it was the strawberries.
2: Yes, I've noticed by the way. Uh, a change in their messaging. I get um, emails from uh, uh, the Democrats. I don't know why I'm on their list, but a donor list, mm-hmm. and they they actually mail me all the time and think my name is Ellen. That's true, <laughs> uh, but <Okay>. I noticed <laughs> I noticed about a week or two ago that the messages changed, and they changed. They they are almost always scare messages. If you don't donate $20 today, we're going to lose Michigan, that kind of message. Right. They changed um, to a more optimistic message. I think they were so scared by two weeks ago that the red wave was coming that it would discourage their voters, Mm-hmm. And that they had to change. So when you hear Nancy Pelosi and others on TV saying, I'm optimistic, uh, I don't think they're that stupid. I think <laughs> that they're, they're thinking that if they, if they uh, say that it looks very grim and an uphill struggle for us, that it will make the struggle even worse because it will discourage their voters uh, from coming out. It did that for Republicans uh, in Georgia in the runoffs. That's why that part of the reason they lost um, uh, the Senate in uh, 2020. They had a runoff in Georgia for two Senate seats. Trump went down there. Trump galvanized an anti-Trump vote. But he also was telling people the last election was stolen yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. So why should you vote in this one if it's going to be stolen? And I think Democrats are not worried that the election will be stolen, but they're worried about turnout. If they keep, if everybody keeps hearing, this is going to be a blue, uh, uh, a red wave.
1: If it's a red wave, and if that red wave comes to Illinois, my prediction, and we have to say goodbye to JB, the carnival, carnival Barker JB uh I would, I would say that it would be the beginning. Of saving Illinois and saving Chicago, which I love dearly, even though I'm no longer a resident.
2: Gee, John, you really are an optimist, aren't you?
1: (laughs) The the glass, the glass, the beer glass is half full, but I I really, I would really like another beer. (laughs) Charles, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Charles. Salute. (laughs) I I would send you a uh, bottle of brandy for your throat, sir.
2: Boy, uh, do I need it. Ed, thanks to all and thanks with. to you uh, not only john but thanks jeff
1: oh our pleasure always always thanks charles thank you
0: whoever you are
2: i've always depended on the kindness of strangers
1: for charles lipson professor emeritus university of chicago our friend writer thinker lecturer, and you can read him on a variety of platforms, including charleslipson.com. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Charles underscore Lipson, L-I-P-S-O-N. And for Jeff Carlin, our friend, co-host, loyal baker, and lover of cats, and lover of Christine, his wife. And for me, John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of your favorite website, johnkassnews.com. Thanks for joining us today, and join us again, won't you, in the No Chumbalone Zone that is the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+. plus. Chumbalone.